Thank okay. you for joining us today for another episode of What's Your Why Wednesday. Today, I am joined with Deanna Turner. She is a VP at Guaranteed Rate. Okay, Deanna, we all came into the industry usually by accident, but the reason why we stayed in the mortgage industry is because it's aligned to our personal why. So Deanna, at this time, please share with us What's your why? Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Um, when we met, I didn't think it would lead to anything like this, that's for sure. So I, I'm quite honored to be here. Um, my why. Um, I truly believe that we all have a purpose. And we have to be walking in our purpose. And sometimes you know what that purpose is up front. And sometimes it's kind of revealed to you over time. And so when I first got into this industry, I didn't have a purpose. Um, someone saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and basically picked me out of another industry and said, you know what? When you get tired of doing what you're doing, call me. I've got something that I think you would be great at. And I had to have faith in that somebody might see something in me that I don't see in myself, but we're going to walk in faith and see how this manifests. So I transitioned into this industry from the automotive industry and was really just looking at this as, okay, instead of selling cars, I'm selling money. I'm selling dreams. Okay. And I took it very personally um, as I became more involved with the families and individuals that was seeking me out for assistance, the more that I grew and my understanding of the industry itself and the products and services we offer, my purpose, as I realized, was greater than just making money. It wasn't about, I'm going to be that loan officer that closes $40 million a year, and I'm going to make $400,000, $500,000 a year. It's really about who am I able to serve? Who am I able to help? Whose life am I able to impact in such a way that it is better for the fact that I came into it? And so I realized that my purpose was really to be a servant leader, to basically look at what my personal situation was when I bought my home and hopefully emulate the loan officer that helped me so I can reach back and teach and help others. Because the home, that dream of home ownership is attainable, but people don't know what they know. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know what's available to them. And if some people are just in it for the money and they're just looking for that vanilla loan, the easy breezy loan where the client knows what they're doing and what they want, that's easy. But what about the people that don't know? What about those people that need a little bit of help, myself included? I bought my first house. I was 30 years old. I had bruised credit for some mistakes I made in college. I had no savings. I had a good job that I had been on for a while, and I had an income. And I found this house and wanted this house. It was the only house I looked at and didn't know how I was going to be able to do it. And the good thing was it was new construction. And I had about six months Bye. to get it together. And thank God I had a loan officer that was empathetic, that was sympathetic, 
that wasn't judgmental and looked at my situation to say, you know what, I can help you. And took me through the steps to educate me so that I understood what I was doing. I understood why I was providing certain things that they were asking me for. I understood the process and I understood just how significant this moment was. And I got my credit cleaned up. I saved up my money. I had money for my down payment and reserves in the bank. Um, and when I became a homeowner that day, I went over to the house after the closing and I just laid on the carpet and made snow angels on the floor. I was so proud of myself. Yeah. I didn't ask anybody for any help. I did it on my own. And I take that and I translate that and transfer that over to the clients that I'm working with because in many cases, they don't have somebody that can help them. They don't have a family member they can turn to. They don't have anyone to really give them sound advice. And there's so much out here that you're hearing about. A lot of it is what I call white noise. It's this yeah. all in your ear. And you don't know what to believe because you see this on the internet yesterday, but you heard this on the news today. And your mother, father, brother, and everybody you know has had some sort of an experience and you don't know what to do. Yeah. So I realized that my purpose really is to help. So whether it's the $80,000 loan or it's a $800,000 loan, I don't sit in judgment of their circumstances. I really try to be an advocate for that client and basically seek out solutions to help. Yep. Well, a couple of things there. Number one, yes. Now you see why I do this, of why I love to spotlight people in our industry, because there are assumptions made about our industry that people think that it is just about financial. And yes, it is, it's a mortgage. Yes, it's financial. But for the people that are truly in this industry, such as yourself, because it's tied to their why, it's beautiful. It's the same as someone that goes to school to be a veterinarian or to be a doctor. And it's because they want to help the animals and they want to help the humans and to be healthy and take care. That's what we do every single day. Like mm -hmm. what you just said, it's scary buying a home, going through the mortgage process. There are so many unknowns and so many questions and partnering with mortgage professionals such as yourself to guide and counsel and be there. Like you said, whether it's 80,000 or 800,000 or 8 million, it's all the same. It's still each one of them needs that. And then the second thing, I love hearing how someone saw something in you and said, hey, when you're ready, come over. Mm -hmm. That is so important for everyone listening to this right now, for all of us to realize. I've heard that story numerous times from people in our industry. Mm -hmm. And I question, make sure we're all keeping our eyes and our ears open for us to do that for other people too. Mm -hmm. Because that is how we keep bringing wonderful, fresh people into our industry that are also tied 
to the personal why on the professional side so that we can continue to have this in generations to come. So I love that. And it's so wonderful. And I know that's another thing you're dedicated to, um, not only to helping the families, but also to help develop people within our industry. All right. So here's my most favorite part. I love this part because each one, I mean, I've had people break down in tears when they share this part. So I love this. All right, Deanna, give me a story. You know, all of the mortgage professionals have stories of that, you know, that one special situation that just you felt the impact that you have with helping families out there. Give share us one story of when you realize that impact. Um, I think sometimes people forget how how they're perceived because I didn't realize until this one particular lady that I helped um, just just how much of a difference I made in her life and planting that seed now and what that's going to sow into her life later. I remember her by name. Her name was Patricia Alexander. And Miss Alexander was a single parent of five boys. Um, I don't know what happened to her husband, but she lost her husband early and she never remarried. And she raised these five boys by herself in an area in downtown Atlanta called Grady Homes. So it was a public housing project. And she worked at Grady Hospital and she would walk to work uh, through a tunnel that went under an overpass to get to the hospital. And she worked at Grady Hospital, I want to say for 30 some odd years. And all the while she lived in this subsidized housing and all the while she just saved and did everything that she could to protect her boys. All five of her boys went on to graduate from high school. They all went to college and she, everything that she had, she poured into her boys. She kept them out of trouble. So she's got these five grown men now that have all gone to different universities and colleges and they all have degrees and they're all out of the house and they're all doing their thing. And she said that she always had the dream that she would one day be able to own her own home. She just wanted a little something that was hers, a little three bedroom, two bath house. She wanted a single car garage and she did want a fence. Didn't have to be the white picket fence, but she <laughs> wanted a fence. And she had driven the same car for 15 years or so. It had been long ago paid off. And so she just had saved. Now, mind you, she was a janitor wow. at the hospital. So this lady made maybe $35,000 a year, $36,000 a year. So the entire time that I was working with her, she was a doubter. She just didn't believe that this was happening. She doubted everything. I mean, you would send her her paperwork and it would take her a day or two to sign it because she was like, mm, I don't know, are we really doing this? Is this really going to work, Deanna? I don't know. You know, but she had found this house. It was a new construction. This was back when new construction, this was like early 2000s. So in Atlanta, you could get a new home for like 120 or 130. Wow. 
$1,000, brand new. And that was the thing. She was like, oh my God, I'm buying a brand new house. She just couldn't believe it. So we go to, we're almost at the day of closing. And you know how we used to get the HUD one statement? Yeah. You get the HUD one statement and you go over it and everything. And she had saved up her money. So she had her money. And the builder was contributing something towards her cost. So she had a little bit to cover there, but she had her money. And I kept reminding her, I said, okay, so this is how much you're going to need. You need to go to the bank and tomorrow bring a cashier's check with you, payable to the attorney's office for this amount of money. So we went over it a couple times and she kept saying, am I really closing tomorrow? Am I really closing tomorrow? And I said, yeah. And I said, I'm going to be there. We're going to be there. So she drove to the closing. I drive to the closing, get there the next day. And the builder is actually there. And, you know, a lot of times builders are too busy. They don't come. Yeah. Like, and he had this little kid. It looked like a house. And, you know, he was like shaking hands and everything. It was a real happy day. Everyone was so excited. And as she started to sign the papers, her penmanship got worse and worse and worse and she got so full and she started to cry mm -hmm. and everybody lord i, everybody, I told you i told yeah. you people cry <laughs> yeah everybody started to cry because yeah. she got so emotional yeah you know, it's like you start out with a stack of paper this thick yeah getting down to the bottom and it's becoming really More real. real. It's becoming real. And when I tell you her pen was like this. Wow. And her, it didn't look like the same person that signed in the beginning was signing at the end. Right. Because her penmanship had just gotten so bad and she had started to cry so much that I don't think she could see. I don't think that she could see the paper, the line she was signing on. So we finally get to the end and the attorney has brought out tissues and stuff and everybody's yeah. eyes and hugs and kisses and stuff. And it was time for her to give them the check and she didn't have the check. Uh -oh. And I'm like, wait a minute. We talked about this last night and she said she didn't go to the bank because she didn't think it was real wow. and she didn't want to get her money until we had closed and she knew that the house was hers. Wow. So I left and I took her to the bank. We got the check. The builder agreed to stay behind and wait. And we came back with the check. And when she gave the lady the check, it was like, yeah, you know, with the paper. And after that, you know, we had to give her a glass of water and you just give her a moment to calm down. And then she sat with the builder and what he had was like all the paint samples and all that kind of stuff that were in her home. He had samples of all of that in this box and, you know, gift cards and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, she just, it's 20 years later. And yeah. I remember that story like yesterday, but my why you know, that validated my why. Yes. But in addition to that, now my why has kind of expanded. My purpose has expanded now that there is such awareness of the fact that we need more diversity within yep. our industry. And we have to be cognizant of 
what we're doing and how it is viewed and how it is seen and how it's received. And I very much am committed to working to increase home ownership within the community that I serve. I'll do a loan for everybody. Yeah. But I recognize that within the African-American community that there are a lot of people that still don't understand. They still don't know that. And there's a lot of fear. And there's a lot of fear too. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. But, you know, within my community, you know, and other communities that I serve, you know, the LBGTQ yep. community, the Latino community, the Asian American community, there are all of these marginalized, diminished communities where they haven't had fair access to credit. Right. And they don't know because no one's taking an exerted effort to educate them and say, hey, this is what we can do for you. Not necessarily waiting for them to come in and say, I need a loan, but being right. able to say, we're going to you to say, if you hadn't thought about it, think about it. There are ways that you can achieve this dream. There are ways that you can stabilize your output of cash monthly so you have a stable roof over your head. People have rent that's being increased upon them every year yeah. and you know, like our seniors so there are definitely some communities that i really am committed to really doing some outreach for so that i can make more of an impact and it's not so much about me because i get a lot of gratification out of it of course just seeing the difference that i'm making in people's yeah. lives that gives me a lot of gratification so it's not about the check because if I do the work, I know the, the, the income yep. will come. It comes. I, I keep blessing people. God will continue to bless me. So yep. I got to keep paying it back. So, you know, that's pretty much why. So do you feel that your legacy is to make that difference within your community and to educate and to be able to spread that wider into not because, of course, you can only do this much, right, as you in your community. But to make an overall impact, it's, ed number one, even doing something like this, to bring awareness and to kind of challenge our industry as a whole to continue to do this nationally, right, all across, not just with what you can do. And, you know, listen, I, for me, I think it starts with these conversations, but boy, that's certainly not enough. That's it's, only that's only opening the door crack. That's all we not. did. Yeah. So yeah. in addition to that, I mean, I recognize that there is a need to serve the community, but then you also have to recognize that folks within all of these different communities want to work with people that look like them. Correct. That from places just like they're coming from or circumstances just like they're coming from so yeah. it's very important to have diversity within our industry it's important that we have more women on the sales side of this industry because over 60 percent of the buying decisions are influenced by women so we need to have more women in sales like i am as opposed to just being in operations uh the scenes so you know we need to have Indiana, I, I don't mean to interrupt but it's interesting I I just was on a panel discussion three days ago and that came up somebody mm -hmm. somebody was she was a VP of sales at a company in our industry and she was saying she can't get women salespeople like she 
She can't find them. She, no one wants to apply for it. They don't want to do those roles. So I actually want to ask you, how do we get the women to go on the sales side or even want to be in the sales roles? What is your thought on that? I think it's kind of like the situation that I found myself in. Sometimes someone's going to see something in you that you don't see in yourself. This is not a job or career path that I ever thought I would be in. This is not a career path that you go to a university and you study on for four years. It's just not. But if you are in sales, you could be selling cosmetics behind a counter at Nordstrom's. You could be selling shoes. You could be selling cars and trucks like I was. Ultimately, you're in sales. And if you're in sales, you're working with people, okay? And those people are coming to you with a need, and you are working with them to satisfy a need or to provide a solution. So you're, you know, it's a service. So I think that those of us that are in the industry need to be looking for other people in other industries. They may not be in this industry yet, but could they pivot and sell this? You know, do they work well with people? I think everybody is coachable and trainable. And if the knowledge base is there where we can mentor and grow people up, then we can peel people away from other industries. I mean, for example, you got a lady that's selling Mary Kay and she's killing it. Oh, yeah. Yes. She could be. A oh, she mom. definitely could be. <laughs> okay. I mean, just like you have some realtors out there, some yeah. realtors, I've met realtors that have made the transition and now they're loan officers. The biggest challenge that I see is that a lot of companies don't want to hire people that don't already have experience right and that's really where i think we do ourselves a disservice in this industry because somebody excuse me took a chance on me yeah i came into the industry from an automotive industry i was an fni manager and i had sold um, Highline and domestic and Japanese cars. And I just happened to sell a car to a gentleman that was a partner in a mortgage company. And he appreciated, I guess, the transition, you know, the, 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 the way that I handled things for him and his purchase. He says, you know what? You could do this. You could be in my industry. I could help you. I could train you, you know, and that's what we're going to have to start doing, looking in other places where we see talent and appealing to that talent to transition them into this industry. We also need to look at some of our ladies that might be in ops. Yeah. Okay. I got to tell you, an underwriter that decides she wants to go into oh, sales yeah. could kill it. Kill it. We know kill that. that. Okay. <laughs> yes. But the issue for them is income stability. Yes. When you're in sales, you're commissioned. Yep. And the idea of being 100% commissioned for a lot of people is unsettling. It frightens them. Yep. It's very frightening. But see, for me, I think the other way. I don't want to be limited by right. what the story is that you say you want to pay me for the job that I'm going to do. I want to be able to earn as much as I'm willing to work for. And I know one thing. I'm not punching the clock. I'm not going to do that nine to five and I get 30 minutes for lunch and two breaks. That's not going to work for me. I kind of need to be organic. 
But I think to answer your question, we that are in the industry need to do a better job of looking at folks that are outside of our industry and other sales areas that could probably transition into this industry and do really well. Yeah, it's actually funny, you know, you and I met at the NAMPA conference and mm -hmm. the night before we met, I was out to dinner with a couple of people and we had a waiter, a server. He was phenomenal. He mm -hmm. was, he was like making jokes and he, he would just, he was so personable and, and his mm -hmm. communication and, and the way he interacted was awesome. And I was so excited that one of the women I was with at the table, she started a conversation. Hey, is this your main job? Is this, and, and had this whole conversation was like, I'd like to give you my business card because I think you would be great in the mortgage industry. And mm -hmm. as I witnessed it, I'm like, every time that we do that, right? Every time we open up that door for someone else to come in, we're paying it forward. We're helping leave our legacy and impact on our industry that has blessed us. So it's time for us to continue that and keep bringing in that talent. So yes, keep yourself aware. Just like that example of the, the server that we had, it could be the barista. It could be the, the cars person that you're going out and purchasing a new, whatever, right? Keep, be aware of it and make the lasting impact into the industry that has blessed all of us. Because mm -hmm. that really is, you know, we are blessed. We get to help families every single day, make a long lasting impact within our communities. And it is something that we all need to be aware of to give back. Deanna, you are awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your why. What a heartfelt story of Miss Alexander. Thank you for sharing that story with us. And we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you. It's been a pleasure.